Dear Talkspace, we are pleased to advise you that your request for an extension has been approved. Morning, morning. Welcome back to another episode of Talkerspace Approved Extension. You're back with your host, Ben. And with me, I have a very, very exciting guest. I have Miss Zara Duffy with me, a up-and-coming, blooming business owner in Brisbane. Morning. How are you, Zara? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm feeling good. It's getting near to the end of uni assessments for me. Which is very, very relieving. You probably, obviously, have no idea about that. Look, same stress is different situation. I feel that. <laughs> For listeners out there, Zara is a business owner of a few businesses. Zara, run me, run me through it. What is your spiel? All right, it's a bit of a like a scroll that is never ending. I feel like, <laughs> um, but I, to shorten it, I work in textile recycling it's how I explain it to someone if I'm just meeting them and don't want to bore them or confuse them (laughs) Um, but I run several businesses I have Asta store which is a slow fashion label Um, loop exchange which is a consignment store um, all online Um, I've just opened bloom op shop which is my beautiful op shop in Newstead Um, and I also do alterations and small batch production so I do it all. (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) So far. (laughs) I came across Zara on social media. All of your TikToks about Bloom are so sweet and so welcoming and so cute. And I just knew I had to have you on the podcast to talk about everything that has to do with all of your businesses. It started with Bloom, but then I quickly realized that you obviously have everything going on. And I would love to pick your brain about what it's like being a young business owner, particularly in Brisbane. I feel like it's, I don't know, it's something I've never really come across. I feel like it's very established brands, at least in my sphere of things. Yeah, I think I actually considered moving away from Brisbane a couple of years ago because I thought that it might be easier to start a business, say in Melbourne. You know, there's such a thriving small business culture down there. Mm. But My partner actually pointed out, you know, you'd kind of be a little fish at a big pond, whereas here you can sort of, you're a bit more established, you know a lot more people, you can kind of be a big fish in a little pond and (laughs) keep those really good connections rather than starting afresh. And I think Brisbane is really up and coming. You just have to be looking in all the right little spaces. Yeah, I'm starting to realise that more and more, especially like even being somewhere like 4ZZZ, like the gigs... Um, scene is so it's so so good like all of the smaller gigs I feel like are just amazing it's just everything's really up and coming like you say yeah (laughs) so run me through we're gonna actually start chatting a little bit more about you to give a bit of context so you are not a current uni student I'm sorry for listeners out there (laughs) (laughs) but run me through so you said you studied photography I did so I actually didn't want to go to uni originally. Um, oh No. So going to a private school, you know, it's a really big focus on what are you going to do? Some people knew what they were doing from grade eight, but I really didn't. And I was the first person in my family to go to university. Um, oh, even wow. in my extended family, my parents um, 
where they lived at the time and, you know, in the 80s, I don't want to give away their age too much, <laughs> um, they had to leave school at year 10 and go and work and, you know, I they really made a life for themselves. But I think education has always been really important to them, um, for me and my sisters. And they wanted me to be a lawyer because I'm really good at arguing and I'm never wrong. <laughs> um, and I went, um, no. <laughs> um, so... We had a happy medium of me going to do the Bachelor of Photography because I sort of did it as a pastime and won a couple of awards during school. Um, So, yeah, I went to the Griffith Uni Queensland College of Art, which was a gorgeous, tiny uni, I'm realising now in terms of size. (laughs) Um, I think my degree had like 40 people, which was really close-knit. But, yeah, I was there. I majored in photo art practice and photojournalism and yeah the sad thing is though that degree doesn't exist anymore so (laughs) it's kind of I think there's only one left in Australia so it's kind of I feel a bit rare (laughs) yeah wow that would have been an immense pressure to be the first studier in your family it was in a way I think I was always really high achieving at school but didn't care too much about school it came quite naturally and I think it frustrated my parents a bit I was they were like you know you could get an OP1 if you only tried more I was like yeah it's all right I got it like a three or a four <laughs> I'm, I'm, ch- I'm doing photography there's no yeah. OP minimum at that time <laughs> um, but yeah I think I'm actually the only person now in my family that doesn't have a degree so my sisters have gone and studied and I like sort of half deferred I didn't get to finish, so oh. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I sort of found what I liked to do during uni, um, and sort of went and pursued that, and that's how my businesses sort of came to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. did you start your bit like the ideas of your business back in uni? I did. So while I was at uni, I was working and I was also selling vintage. So back in those days, op shops were amazing makes me sound like I'm really old, but, you know, <laughs> the 2010s. Um, and op shops were just amazing, like Levi jeans for a dollar, that kind of thing. Um, and I had too much of it. So I started selling on Facebook because Facebook was the new and exciting thing at the time. Um, <laughs> and I did, you know, markets and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, during uni I realized all my work was turning towards textile focus and yeah I decided I would defer it for a little bit and go and pursue these other dreams and work for a bit and run my businesses on the side. Mm. Wow so was textiles always something you were interested in like even before uni or was it just something that arose? Yeah I was always sewing I think like I apparently just took out my mum's sewing machine one day without asking her and just started using it. Um, She would always sew dance costumes for my sister. So I don't know, I always had that interest in sewing things and I liked getting vintage stuff and altering it because it's never your size originally, you know, you have to make a few changes to it. Um, But yeah, sort of as I grew into more vintage selling, I think that love of textiles really grew. Um, you know, I think vintage is the best way to get into fashion, in my personal opinion, because there's so much history behind it. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I started doing upcycling and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it sort of led me to opening my first business, like full time in a bricks and mortar store, which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Bloom, which is the one I came across, is fairly mm-hmm. recent. You've gone through yes. a little bit of a journey since mm-hmm. leaving university. And for listeners, we <laughs> when Zara came in this morning, we realised we had a strange connection. Zara was actually a... What was your position at the school? I was... I was basically an admin in the music department of the school that you went to. So yeah. we definitely crossed in the corridor and realised that quite quickly, which makes me sound so, so old. Um, but I was actually closer in age to the students than I was mm. to my own faculty. So I know I was the kind of the cool teacher, I guess, I like to think. <laughs> but yeah, a very, a very fun connection. Brisbane is too small sometimes. It's starting to be like that. I feel like the um, like older and older I get, it's just it's, gives me the it gives me the willies sometimes. <laughs> no, but it's if anything, it's made me feel really comfortable because mm. you know we kind of know each other in a way. <laughs> Actually, that's one thing I didn't ask before the podcast. What do you remember of me? Do you remember much? I remember you had like a definite flair. <laughs> Uh, because I think we didn't cross particularly. I think you must have been doing music in some other way. Mm. Um, I was more like classical, bit boring, but you know that's the instrument that I play. Um, but I do remember you, did, yeah, <laughs> very much a flair in that corridor in the music department. <laughs> And you're still the same. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Just grown into it. Beautiful. <laughs> so what was the journey after uni to where we are today? So post uni, I just went and worked in music um, because I'd studied music my entire life. It was just something I knew how to do. Um So I just went and did that, obviously when I worked at the school that you went to, (laughs) um, just to get some money behind myself, work full time. Um, And on the side, I was always running to markets on the weekend or having to knock off half an hour early to go and do something. Um, I was really fortunate to have colleagues that were really supportive in any job that I went to, I think, because all the jobs I did were really creative. They were like, well, yeah, you're going to be creative in other parts of your life, do you? Mm. Um, but I saved up enough and I resigned from my job to go and open my first bricks and mortar store because I felt that I didn't want to do markets anymore because I had carried things for, I think, like five years at that point. And that I was, would be I was such done. a tough gig. Especially by yourself. Like, I can put up a marquee by myself and that is my one skill. <laughs> <laughs> That's my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be at these markets and there'd be a whole family helping one person set up, like, struggling with this marquee and I'd just go, whoop and it'd be up. Um, But I was like, you know, I feel like it's the next step. And at the time, there weren't a lot of other people selling vintage, particularly well, where I went, which was West End. Now there's so many, which is awesome. Um, So yeah, I chose a shop there. And at the time, it was just vintage. And then it very quickly turned into 50 other things under the one roof, um, which sort of is how all my other businesses came to be. They, they sort of started, um, I guess, as services. Um, so I had this store, and at the time it was just called Asta Store. That was my business. Um, I was selling vintage, and then people started selling me their clothes. So we kind of became that sort of consignment store exchange. Um, and then because there was another store on the street that did something similar, um, I could sort of figure out what people liked and didn't like about that service. Um, And that's how I became the first and still only consignment store that buys damaged clothing. 
Um, in Brisbane? In Australia, as far as I can find. Oh, wow. And if other people are doing it, you're not advertising it very well, <laughs> so I'm very sorry. Um, but yeah, we'd have people come in and go, oh, you know, I had these really beautiful jeans or a dress and other places wouldn't take it because the zip was broken. And because I can sew and at the back of the store, we had our sewing machines. I went, yeah, sure. We can't buy it for the full price, but here's my offer. Would you like cash for it? Yes, done. And people loved it Mm. Um, because they knew as well if they donated it somewhere, a lot of op shops might throw it out and they didn't feel too comfortable with that, but didn't know what to do. And we're just holding on to all these broken clothes that they didn't really want. So yeah, we did that. Um, And then through that clothing exchange is how the op shop as it is now actually started, which is so wild to think about that it started three or four years ago. Wow. Yeah. So being a consignment store, people just start giving you stuff. Um, Being like selling vintage for the last, I guess now over 10 years, people just give you things. They find out you like old clothes. So you end up with a lot of people's old clothes. Um, And we had like the back room was full and we were trying to give it to the local Vinnies and they asked us to stop um, because we were giving them too much stuff. And I went, well, I don't know, but we can't say no to people giving us this stuff because it's rude. What can I do with it? It doesn't sort of fit our eligibility criteria. And also we got it for free. Like normally we pay for stuff. So um, we came up with the idea of selling it for charity. Um, so once a month we'd have a pop-up weekend and out the front we'd have all the stuff that we would sell for charity and we just called it a pop-up op shop Um, and for some reason decided to start that during like not the COVID lockdowns or anything but sort of during that time when business was quite tough so when we were able to we'd have everyone sort of spaced out on the racks and there'd be a line down the street because of it you know everyone was really respectful of each other which was beautiful but it went off. Like people were fighting over things. Oh my God. <laughs> Just, you know, classic, classic boundary street stuff. Um, but we did everything for five bucks because it was just easy not to tag anything and just chuck it out. And we'd have one shop person out the front sort of monitoring and, you know, breaking <laughs> up fights over jackets or whatever. Um, and then people would come inside as well and shop from the store. So it was great for charity, great for business. And People still come to me and remember the first charity we supported, which I find crazy. Um, The first charity we did was for Sisters Inside. Um, Their headquarters was just up the road from my old store and we thought it's great to affect local change. Like people commented that they liked knowing that the money they just spent on whatever they'd bought from the pop-up op shop was going to help um, women in prisons and sort of helping them as they leave prison. It could be someone that they walk past on the street, you know, mm-hmm. and it was really direct. So we kept doing those um, and then unfortunately had to stop because I had to leave that store. Um, but yeah, so it's a bit of a journey <laughs> so far. <laughs> yeah, because like doing a deep dive into your social media, I was trying, I was trying, I was trying to be a good journalist and piece together the journey myself. So the pop-up stores were a part of your okay because for some reason I just got the impression that that was how everything originated out of like pop-up stores like that was it solely and I was just like that's such an interesting idea but now you talking about it makes so much more sense yeah (laughs) so I guess it's sort of it was a pop-up within our store Mm. and I guess we had such a great community and West End is such a beautiful place as well everybody 
really loves to support small business there. So yeah, I think that's why if I had just randomly gone into a store, I don't think it would have had the same support, but because people knew me and what I was doing and that I loved recycling clothes and that, you know, it was for charity as well. I think that's why it was so like so popular mm. in the beginning and I'm so, so grateful for it. And it was good for business as well for people finding out about us just walking past on the street. So yeah. Mm. What was it like moving from, sorry to backtrack, like from markets to brick and mortar store? That would have been so intense. Like what were, what was going through your head? Um, it was a snap decision, which I don't know is the smartest snap decision to make. <laughs> I can be a little bit impulsive, um, but I definitely, I'd done like way back before I had the bricks and mortar store, I did little pop-ups around the joint, like testing out what having a real store would be. Um, you know, I'd find an empty storefront and approach the real estate agent going, hey, can I be here for two weeks? What would the cost be? And that's sort of how I did it. Because at the time there weren't a lot of spaces like there are now in Brisbane where they do it. They just have the space for pop-ups and, you know, you approach them, they have their rates. That's sort of how they do it. Um, but yeah, the the one thing that I was very surprised by about going into a store is firstly how expensive it is. Um, I think people equate commercial real estate a lot to um, residential, which sounds a bit boring, but um, when you have a house, right, you like pay, I think it's like four weeks worth of rent as a bond. Mm-hmm. In commercial, it can be three to six months worth. In a bond? Yes. Oh, my God. So... Because this is one of the things that was actually interesting me. Mm. Like, what's the difference between renting slash owning commercial spaces to yeah. residential? Okay, so interesting. Yeah. Huge bond. Yeah, Good so I've, I've always <laughs> rented, just to preface, buying... It's just the same to buying a house. Very similar pricing, too. Like, it's it's definitely an investment. Um which I cannot make at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what surprised me. Um, so, you know, I was very fortunate to have family members help me as well as a loan for that because they'd prefer that I went to them and not a bank because mm. they can nag me, but banks are a lot more intense. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate and very privileged to have my family support me in that way. Um but the other thing as well that I didn't realise, which is something I always warn people about too, if they're about to go into a space, is that you have to have a lawyer, which I didn't realise. So in residential real estate, right, you have the RTA, which if you have an issue, you go to them, it all gets figured out, hopefully. For commercial real estate, there is no governing body. Um, you have to go to court. And oh I found that out very much the hard way. Um, but, you know, if, if people are ever thinking about going into bricks and mortar, which I always encourage because I think it's great to have that like tactile sort of connection with your customers as well. Firstly, get yourself a lawyer. It's worth the weight in gold. And secondly, just be like aware of all the things that you go into, like read your contract. Oh my God. They're very long, Mm. but um, commercial real estate is also great for negotiation. I think people don't realize that as well if you're going into it first. Like I accidentally negotiated my first um, like rent decrease. <laughs> How did you do um, that? So when I was first going into it, you know, looking at the property and blah, 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 um, 
they told me the price and how much the bond was and I went like they tell you the price per year and I went oh oh no <laughs> that's too much <laughs> sorry and I was being quite candid and they came back going oh yeah we'll knock off 10k a year and I went oh sweet <laughs> <laughs> um so I'm a lot more shrewd now and will be very much like you you can go into commercial real estate and go I want this amount of weeks free um, at the start, you know, I want this, I want that. Um, you can sort of put it all on the table. It's it's very much a conversation. I think very differently to what people are used to in like renting a house. Yeah, because renting for me, like my experience has always been like not one and done. Like you cannot change anything about this lease whatsoever. So that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So they're a lot higher stakes, I guess. But yeah, mm. a lot more flexible, I guess. Mm. How did you go about finding... A lawyer. I don't know, like, finding a lawyer to me is always something that, you know, people in the movies do it, but it's interesting that, like, yeah. obviously people do it in real life. Yeah, well, I guess, as I have prefaced before, I should have gotten one at the start. Um, I actually had to get a lawyer as a result of basically being harassed in my store and having to leave it. Mm. Um, very long story, which I'm not going to get into, but um, fortunately... My parents had a lawyer for estate kind of stuff. And within that business, oh. there was someone that specialized in commercial. Um, obviously, with a lot of different jobs, like in law, there's a lot of different types of law. Um, and there are <laughs> You people- don't have to tell me I'm a law student. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you know. But um, there aren't a lot of people that specialize in commercial property law. Um, really? there's, there's a few of them and I think it's really important to have someone that knows mm. um, because they'll know the ins and outs, they'll do it every day. Um, so yeah, so that's how I found one. Um, but you can also just find it by Googling commercial mm. property lawyer Brisbane. Um, but yeah, it's very expensive investment. They were so much per hour. <laughs> I feel like maybe I should have become a lawyer after <laughs> meeting with them. Um, but so knowledgeable and really helped me in my situation. So yeah, I would highly recommend getting one. That's so, yeah. <laughs> Sounds daunting, but because that's what I imagine. Like, um, I recently had a friend have to go through some legal proceedings, and like it's weird because me studying to be a law student, I don't really think anything of it until she was running me through it, and she's just like, I don't know who to pick. Like, there's no one I trust. And I feel like that would be a very intense filter or threshold to try and beat or like get over as someone who's looking for a lawyer. Yeah, I I feel quite grateful because I know you know in like in every profession there's there's great people and not so great people. But in my situation, my lawyer actually said not to engage her. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously, I had to pay her for her time, but. Um, in the situation where I was trying to leave my lease and I don't know if you've studied commercial law that much, but um, commercial leases are really hard to get out of. Mm. And most people just end up subleasing to someone else um, or assigning their lease. Um, And her advice to me was, you know, just figure out how to assign your lease. You'll lose your bond to your landlord, which was very unfortunate, but don't engage me. It'll cost you more than what you'll win back. And I thought that, to me, that was the most authentic and like genuine thing mm. she could have said to me because otherwise if she'd kept engaging me and spending money that I didn't have. Yeah, she didn't have to say that. No. Mm. Um, 
and she, I guess that's a mark of her being a really good lawyer. She knew when to fight and she knew when to quit. Mm. And yeah, so that unfortunately is a story of how I had to leave my store and lose a lot of money. But I now have a good lawyer to turn to when I'm ready to go to one again. So, you know, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Mm. What are some other things that starting a business, getting into leases or stuff like that, that was quite scary for you? I guess the idea that I was sort of responsible for my future from that point. Um, knowing that you have, you know, a couple of thousand to pay in rent at the end of the month <laughs> and that it's all on you and if you have staff that you're responsible for them. Um, that was quite daunting as well. Um, I guess in a good way, though, it really motivated me. I was like, well, it's just me now. I'm no longer in full-time work. Whatever happens from this point on is from my brain and from my hard work. Um, but yeah, I think going into a shop, I think there's so many things that you don't think of as well, like fit out and all that kind of stuff. I think being, I've just made a lot of lists when I first went in. I was like, okay, I've paid the bond, I've paid all that. The hard, hard quote stuff is over. <laughs> um, what do I have to do now to open my store within a week? And that's what I did. So yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So it was just like very trial by fire. Yeah. I also have a partner who's a fit out carpenter. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> you lucky thing. Yeah. I think he's a bit sick of me at this point, <laughs> but he, oh, he was very amazing. I didn't tell him that I'd gotten the shop until a week before it opened. And he went, Sarah. <laughs> All right. So we were up until like 2am every morning after our work finishing the store because I sort of worked right up until I opened the store because I thought that was the best way to do it um so we'd finish work come and like work on the shop and meet all the fun characters that would try and bust in the door at you know midnight all very nice just very curious oh my goodness. Um, we didn't lock the door for the first couple of things because we were you know going out to the car and whatnot and we had all these long planks of like three meter long planks of wood and you know we'd carried one in and this guy, you know, we set it down and this guy walked in with three planks. I don't know how he carried them. And he goes, hey, guys, where's, where do you want these? And we just stared at him and went, uh, uh, yeah, over there, thanks. And he went, all right, have a good one, bye. Like, it was really, everyone was so friendly but so curious. And when, you know, <laughs> someone's banging on your door, you're like, what's going on? And the paper's up, you can't see what's on the other side. Um, so it was, yeah, it was an adventure. I'm never doing a fit out that quickly again because mm. my partner would not do it and I'd have nothing. Um, and the relationship over that. Yeah. Look, <laughs> we've, we've been together for six years now and I know not to ask him <laughs> or to pre-plan in advance. But yeah, I'm very lucky to have someone like that. I think fit out costs too because he does it as a job. I was so surprised about how expensive it is to get walls put up or walls taken down or even just racks or things like that, it, mm. it really adds up. So I guess if you're anyone starting a business, double how much money you think you need. Because even if you don't spend it, you have it sitting in your pocket. That's sort of the one thing I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> With your creative side of things, what was the like creative process for designing your business? 
Like the clothes or? Like, I don't know, <laughs> just everything. I feel like the one thing that really interests me, particularly as a creative, um, is branding, like names. Like where did the names for all of your businesses come from? Well, two of them are flower-based, which I'm not really too sure why, because aster is a type <laughs> of flower, but it's a weed. Interesting. It's, like it's such a of, pretty word, though. It is nice. It's sort of like a dandelion is the best way. You know, it's like mm. beautiful, but also some people don't like it there. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was a nice name. A lot of people point out to me that my name is already a brand, Zara. Duh. <laughs> and every time that conversation would come up at the shop. They'd go, oh, don't you wish, blah, 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 you know, that Zara wasn't a store. And I go, yes, there's no Zaras. It started by men. <laughs> like, <laughs> please let me have... And apparently my last name is a brand too. Apparently Duffy is a coat brand. Mm-hmm. So I just had to come up with something completely different. And a lot of people say not to use your name for business stuff if you can help it. So really? I just went... Why is that? I'm not too sure. I think a lot of the time it's to do with if you want to sell the business, which isn't my interest at all. But Mm. I think sometimes maybe if you don't want to be the face of your business or the constant spokesperson of your business, you can kind of give it a name that's not your own and create that sort of little bit of distance between the two so you can live your life and then you can have your business life as well. So then going through, like, all of the other creative sites, like, I guess what I'm trying to get at and ask is, like, how much help have you had with everything, like, creating the business? So you've mentioned your partner with fit-outs and stuff like that. Have you brought in anyone else to help with it? No. Um, Aside from, like, family helping me set up or having staff that worked on the shop floor, for example, or sewed for me, Everything else I've done myself, Mm. I don't know if that's a fault of mine, but I'm (laughs) very much like, no, I can do everything. I don't see myself as an expert in anything at all. Um, Maybe aside from sewing, but I'm nowhere near like a super expert in that. (laughs) Um, But I tend to have like a very strict vision on things. And so, yeah, like when I was coming up with names or just, you know, a logo or colors or whatever, all of my brand colours are some sh- sort of shade of green because environment green, it's a bit cliche, but, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I've sort of just over the years sort of honed all of, you know, the font or whatever to feel like it really expresses what we're about. Um, yeah, I, I do it all myself. I probably should bring on people, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> small business, money, financial, cash mm. flow, sometimes it's... It's easier to do it yourself. but yeah. I, I imagine I would be the same because I just love the creative control of it. I was just like, no one else could do it like I could. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, though, I've definitely realised, I think, going through, I guess, the four years I've been in business full time, I guess, is um, finding people that are experts in other things and allowing them to be that expert because, you know, I... It's better for me to be working on the business rather than in it. So if I can get people that are good at what they do to help me run the business, then I can help it grow rather than spending all my time, you know, running around doing all the small things. And I think that's really a marker of growing for myself as a business person and seeing like, oh, that person's really good at this particular type of sewing. Well, I can get them on to help me and then I can free up my time to grow my business and do more and 
save more textiles, which I guess is the ultimate goal. Um, <laughs> But I think it's really, I understand why a lot of creatives especially want to hold on to everything so tight. It's so hard to let go. But when you find the right people, mm. you wish you'd done it far, far sooner. Yeah. With being a business person, what, so you didn't study business in university. What resources have you used to like learn how to run a business? Yeah, I definitely didn't study business or fashion. <laughs> a lot of people have thought they've seen me at QUT fashion, oh. which including a lecturer, which I found quite strange. <laughs> they would. I'm very flattered because they're like a great name in fashion in Brisbane, and so I went, yeah, no worries. Like I'll I'll take that adjacency to you anytime. <laughs> um, but honestly, Google has been my best friend, and I've always taken a really DIY approach two things. I don't know if that's because I started my business so young, so had to very much bootstrap it. Um, like I didn't really take out loans or anything, you know, whatever money I made, I'd just reinvest back into the business. Um, but listening to podcasts of people and not necessarily of people doing the same thing I am, um, I sort of started just listening to fashion podcasts and that's all I was interested in. But then I'd listen to say like a beauty podcast and something they did in marketing really gave me an idea. And I went, oh, I mm. need to sort of glean from everybody because they're, you know, they're like this talking on a podcast, sharing their knowledge. Like I may as well listen if they're giving their time. Um, but yeah, sort of honestly, I just Google everything, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> not a great answer. <laughs> um but it's gotten me this far, so, you know, got to give my you thanks. You must be doing something, right? <laughs> Googling the right things, at least. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of business, I think I see people sometimes, you know, even on TikTok or something, you know, their journey to starting their business and they want everything to be perfect. And when I look back at what I did when I was 18, I'm honestly slightly embarrassed. And I think that's a good <laughs> thing because I was like, I had no clue what I was doing back then. And now I've sort of honed all these different things no one's perfect fresh out the gate and if you are then that's amazing but mm. you know it's better to just do it get in and sort of do it and yeah hopefully you'll end up with a couple of businesses <laughs> like me <laughs> I don't know I'm very bad I'm I'm not going to be one of those great like advice podcasts <laughs> <laughs> what has been the thing that's surprised you the most about owning and running your own business I think the support that people are willing to give you as a complete stranger. That's lovely. Yeah. It's something I was so surprised by. This might be because I was not living in West End at the time and maybe I wasn't like super sort of aware of the beautiful community culture that they have there. Um, I was living on James Street at the time in Brisbane, so I'm not there anymore, thank goodness, <laughs> but very different um, types of community. But the amount of support that people gave me when I first opened in West End and even in Bloom now, I'm just constantly floored by, like, I'm always just crying on the shop floor because I'm like, oh my gosh, this person did this to me. I'm constantly crying. Um, <laughs> but, like, when I first opened my store in West End all those years ago, this lady walked in and just gave me a bag of clothes. 
And I said, oh, you know, we, we, we give you money for that. And she went, no, no, it's all good. I want to support young women. I want to support small business. I noticed you just opened. And I opened that bag and there was Hermes in there. Oh. There was like <laughs> Italian leather. And I kept it out the back because I went, she gave this, I think she's going to realize her mistake like a day later and come back and yell at me or something. And she never came back. And that was the first bag of stuff we used um, in the op shop that we did like at the front of the shop. So there was a mez in that $5 oh pile. Cause I just, I felt so odd about selling it, even though I knew that that's what she wanted. And I went, you know what? No, someone else can like reap the benefit of this. And it was just beautiful things like that. And people referring their friends or, you know, hearing a conversation that I wasn't really part of, you know, people going, yeah, this is the really great store that I told you about. And I don't know if they meant for me to hear that, but that's just, so nice and it was so validating you know even if they didn't spend a cent of their money I was like well people like what I'm doing Mm -hmm. I must be doing something right and when I was starting Bloom like I started just talking about it on TikTok which Mm. is how you found me Um, and my friend had actually recommended I start TikTok because she has gone really well with it and she has a festival business that um, it sort of save TikTok saved her business she said she was like get on there it's it can really reach a like-minded audience and um you know see how you go and it's the best advice ever <laughs> I felt a bit weird but <laughs> yeah it's um it's a it's a very strange beast TikTok so unpredictable Mm-mm. I you know I think if you get on TikTok to be famous that's not it's going to disappoint you if you get on there to try and foster a community and just meet people who like the things that you like then it's perfect for that I think Mm. you do get a few strange comments but you know that that goes with it (laughs) um but yeah I sort of got on TikTok and immediately the algorithm figured out yep sustainable fashion blah blah and started connecting me with all these people and I started talking about stuff that I'd done because I'd closed my business or the shop front at least at that point. And I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I started talking about it and everyone's ears pricked up and went, op shop? What's, yeah. what's going on? So I remember the first video I saw was the one you said, like, I'm wanting to bring back cheap op shops to Brisbane. And I that struck a really strong chord with me. I was just like, oh, finally. <laughs> I mean, it was born out of a similar like frustration myself because mm. as old as it makes me sound, I remember when op shops were, everything was a dollar. Mm. And while I understand that, you know, getting if they can get $500 for one item and that all goes to a charity that's so fantastic but it also prices out well me and a whole lot of other Mm. people as well like I don't think many people go to an op shop for really expensive stuff unless you really love it and you just have to have it but I think I was more interested in like firstly saving clothes Um, I really struggle to throw them away unless they're gross and then to the bin (laughs) Um, but also sort of that community and sort of helping charity as well was something that I really wanted to, I think, get back into. And the response from that after sort of the defeat of having to leave my store, not under my own terms, and then seeing all these people be excited for what I was doing, it sort of like gave me this renewed strength. I was like, oh my gosh, I am doing something right, you know? Mm. Um, And I started, you know, figuring out how I was going to go into a shop again while learning from all the mistakes I'd made. Like, for example, 
I'm in a monthly pop-up space at the moment. Um, but yeah, it was the kindness that people have shown me, like I mean, the amount of donations we have is just in- immense. And, you know, we had a fundraiser to help me pay for the first month of rent because it was expensive. And um, because we donate our profits, it was hard for to save up just through online sales, for example. Um, and, you know, I gave out vouchers to people who, you know, if they donated five bucks, they got a 10 buck voucher and people just donated and said, I don't want a voucher. I just want to support you. And I'm there crying behind my screen going, oh, thank you so much. And those people have come in and I've met them. And yeah, I think I can't believe how nice people are to someone they don't know. Not that I wouldn't be, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, you know, they could, they could be wary of me. They could think, oh, who's this chick? What's she think she know about op shops? But they're like, no, here's a bag of clothes. And like someone donated a coach bag to us the other day. Oh. It's sold within five minutes because our ceiling of pricing is 15 bucks. And someone bought it for their friend and like told me all about it. Like, I think it's that that like gets me really excited and yeah, it's something that's like surprised me the most too. Wow, that's such a nice little surprise. What is something in your businesses, like an idea that you've implemented or something that you have that you just get really, really excited and like geeky about? I get really nerdy. I know it's probably sounds like really broad, but about recycling clothes, but it depends what level I'm doing it at, mm. if that makes sense. So like, for example, in the first week at the op shop, we sold 507 items of clothing and I sat down and I worked out, <laughs> which is so nerdy, um, on average, how much water they that saved based on how much water it takes to make a t-shirt, how much CO2 it takes to make a t-shirt. I sat down and I did the maths and I posted it and like how much textile that saved if people had just thrown it away instead of donating it. And that kind of stuff makes me really excited. It's really weird to picture like hundreds of thousands of litres of water when you're talking about it. But to know that in a very small way I'm making an impact is something that I don't know, I feel kind of nerdy about, but also (laughs) really excited because for some people, they're just coming and buying pants and that's the end of it and they got them for eight bucks. But for me, I'm like, did you know (laughs) this saved? I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but um, that's something that gets me really excited. And Do you do that like regularly, like going through and seeing all the leaders you've saved and stuff like that? I I did it for the first week because I was like, oh my goodness, that is so many clothes. Like, you can't picture 500 items of clothing right now. Like, Mm. not even I can, and I have so many clothes in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've done, like, certain programs for my business that I've been accepted into, and that's sort of something that, I guess, has set me apart. Like, I am really interested in that kind of stuff where a lot of businesses aren't. so yeah, I, I don't know. I love numbers like that. And <laughs> every time I see like people throwing out clothes, I'm like, no, I can save it. <laughs> don't reach into that bin, girl. That's gross. No, I've never done that. But <laughs> like it, it makes, it's really hard for me to see something go to waste. And I, I recently listened to a podcast of an Australian designer, Akira, who 
felt the same. He was mm. like, after my seamstresses go home, I pick up all the fabric out of the bin. And I went, oh, I'm not going that far. But it's nice to see that other people feel how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're running out of time. What is, like, one last question. Mm-hmm. What is one piece of advice that you would give anyone who's wanting to start their own business? Oh, that's so hard. Because <laughs> I have, like, I could talk all day about advice. Can I give two very short ones? I'll, I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, the first one is do your research. And the second one is just do it because you'll regret it if you don't. <laughs> well, Zara, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank we you. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciated it here. Talker Space approved extension. Listeners, if you're doing assessment, please, please take care of yourselves. You'll get through it eventually. And in Zara's, to twist Zara's advice, just do it. Yes. (laughs) We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Talker Space Approved Extension is the podcast that talks all things uni. We're bringing you chats about what it's like being a uni student, uni music, and the world of pop culture, as well as bringing you longer chats with the interesting people in Brisbane. Listen in every Friday morning on your favourite podcasting app. This podcast was recorded on Turrbal land, always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. <laughs>